Hey everybody, Mike here with the Hilco Homes Podcast, and today I have Jay Flores with me. And as you remember, uh, we recently did an episode where we talked about our behind-the-scenes visit at their office. And today we are going to be discussing finding hard money lenders. So stay tuned. So uh, again, and first of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. I know you guys are traveling. You're probably in your car. You may even be in another country. Um, and I, I thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope we continuously bring you value when it comes to your activities in the wholesale real estate realm and as an investor. And one of the really big important things about being a real estate investor is one aspect of it for the investing strategies are fixing and flipping and that comes with hard money lending so today's episode i actually have jade flores here with me she's a uh, the regional manager for uh, longhorn investments and i'm just going to let her introduce herself and then we're going to talk about evaluating figuring out finding hard money lenders and what's an appropriate fit for you as an investor and your particular investing strategies so jade welcome to the show and tell our audience a little bit about yourself yeah thank you for having me so my name is jade flores i am the regional manager of longhorn investments uh, and i'm also an investor myself so my husband and i have been doing this for several years uh, and then got into hard money lending to be able to help other people do so awesome and so we've done a couple of, uh, I guess, bits of content. You know, we, we were at your office. We shot some videos. Um, you were just here with uh, Marco doing a Facebook Live. Um, we had a, a brief conversation that we recorded audio for that we put into one of our recent podcasts. And um, I think through all of this stuff, we've kind of done a lot of the promotion side of things. You know, with Longhorn being uh, our sponsor, um, I think that's really important in showing uh, who it is that we work with. Um, but for our audience, you know, not only is this a, a great you know plug and and marketing segment for Longhorn, um, but it also is a great way to give some insight on what the hard money lending side of things looks like. Um, I know for a lot of investors, uh, especially like, you know, the, the new ones like myself, you know, we want to get into our first deal or maybe we've done a few deals and, uh, you know, you stick with the same person over and over again yeah. as, as a lender, mostly because, you know, humans are creatures of habit and, mm -hmm. you know, if, if it works, you know, why, why fix it if it doesn't, if it's not broken. Um, but at the same time, you know, that limits you. You don't know what else is out there if you right. don't go try it. So um, the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to finding a hard money lender, um, other than a Google search or asking you know, other investors, what would you recommend as a, a, a good or a solid, reliable approach for someone to go out and find a hard money lender, especially if it's someone who's never worked with a hard money lender? So there's going to be uh, several different ways that you're able to find hard money lenders. Um, one of the best approaches is going to be to go to your local RIA. Um, okay. 
So we work with um, Ria's here, Alamo Ria, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and we do a lot of educational spiels. So we okay. will they'll do um, different events and whatnot, and it's an opportunity for us to be able to educate the investors. Um, on how things work from an investment standpoint and also from a lending standpoint. But I would say go to your local RIA. That's a great place to start. Um, And then in terms of vetting them out, make sure that they understand what they're talking about. A huge thing with hard money lenders is you're going to have, there's an abundance of hard money lenders out there, right? And you're going to have multiple representatives from every single company. But when it comes down to it, they don't actually invest. And so... While they may be able to sell you a product, they don't actually know what they're selling. And a lot of them don't understand the details about their program. Right, right. Now, and I think that's important to, to point out. So one thing I'm going to bring up before I forget, uh, for the audience if uh, that, that you're listening to this, if you don't know what a RIA is, that's a real estate investment group um, or a, a networking organization, or uh, it can show up in a, in a variety of forms. You know, uh, I think one really easy way to find a local RIA just Facebook search, you know, mm-hmm. see what local groups uh, are available. Um, another good resource is like meetup.com. See yeah. what meetups are available for individuals that have interest in real estate investing. Now, with that said, um, when looking into hard money lenders, uh, like you said, um, you know, make sure that they know what they're talking about. Um, and I, I really like the idea of going to these events because you can see the people in person and mm-hmm. you can talk to them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that's a great way to evaluate, you know, not just the character potential. Cause like, uh, like in the last conversation we had, you know, we were talking about, you know, when you, when you look at a, a, a business or a company and you want to see, um, how to evaluate them for longevity or continuity, um, one huge aspect is the character. Yeah. Like, does your personality fit? Like, are you going to off the bat, are you clashing with them right. about, about the, <laughs> right. the agreements? Yeah. You know, like obviously that's not a good sign. Right. Uh, so, you know, do you work well with them is, is a great, uh, you know, starting point, but you know, asking them those questions of how many deals have you done as an investor? Mm-hmm. You know, how many, uh, flips have you have you done or how many rentals are in your portfolio or even asking the the scary questions like how many flips have you messed up on yeah <laughs> right know? because yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's a good indicator of experience and um, you know just like you were talking about with uh, with Marco just now on the the Facebook live you know one of your first deals was it, it totally went south you yeah. know like, it was a total flop <laughs> and, you, and you were saying like basically anything that could go wrong went wrong on that yeah, one deal literally um, and and I think there's the plus side and, and the downside right like on the plus side you got a lot of experience out of it yes <laughs> on the downside yes. Uh, you know, unfortunately, being your first deal, that could sour a lot of people's expectations going into real estate yes. if they've never done it before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a great point. You know, going to RIAs, uh, talking to people, finding out if they have investment experience themselves. Um, but uh, I think one of the bigger confusing issues when it comes to a, a newbie investor looking for a hard money lender are the definitions of their their terms and the agreements so mm-hmm. you know like what is a point you know what is what is the fees involved what are the expectations of you know when you say cash to close what does that really mean to, for for that person um, and I think that is where the 
the biggest confusion lies when it comes to picking a hard money lender. And you've touched on this a couple of times. Maybe we can we can explore this a little bit more. But um, you know, the lowest upfront fees doesn't always mean the lowest cost. Right. So so what advice would you give to a in particular a new investor? when evaluating a hard money lender when it comes to the number side of, of what their operations offer? Well, you're going to want to understand what the cost is for the entire deal in itself, not just what's going up front. Um, a lot of lenders are going to compensate somewhere if they're offering tremendously low rates, right? So mm -hmm. if, they're, if they're beating every other lender on interest rate, they're definitely making up for it somewhere. So my suggestion to newer investors that are going to be shopping hard money lenders is ask what the total cost is of the deal. Um, are there fees on the back end that are going to be applicable to my transaction? Mm -hmm. um, points, for instance, right? Are there points on the back end that I'm going to owe you in order to uh, save money on the front end, right? right? What is the total cost of your deal going to be? Are there are there additional fees that are hidden, such as escrow fees, um, mm -hmm. early prepayment penalty fees? Um, wiring fees, stuff like that. It adds up very quickly. Um, so talk to your hard money lender and every hard money lender that you're, you're shopping with and really get a full breakdown of what their, uh, what their cost is going to be for the entire transaction. Right, right. No, and that, that's good. And I think, um, kind of like what you, to, I guess, expand on, on a comment you made with shopping other hard money lenders, um, it's, there's nothing wrong with submitting multiple applications to get approved or get approval letters from other lenders and, and you know take a look at them side by side uh, and compare them you know, on apples to apples basis. Um, but when, when doing that, um, I think one indicator of good quality of business and, and, and I'm bringing this up because I know Longhorn does this. you know if someone has a, uh, an approval letter from another lender, they can bring it to you and see, uh, if, if you can do something competitive or along the similar lines, you know, I guess you could say it's a, in the hard money, hard money lending world. It's the equivalent to price matching, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's <clears throat> because with lending, there's so many different areas where fees can be placed right. that a normal person just wouldn't think to look. Right. Um, so yeah, going back to what you said, we absolutely will. If you get a cost breakdown of, um, of a deal, we will take that and we will show you side by side where you're saving money, where you're, where we can, you know, compete so on and so forth so that your true out of pocket costs and so that your true cost of, of the lending uh, on the deal is minimal. Yeah. And I think that that speaks volumes towards the, not just the customer service side of things, but also the quality of business you can expect. Yeah. Um, now when picking a hard money lender, uh, especially, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of deals that you can get into, but for the sake of time and simplicity, let's just assume that we're talking about a fix and flip flip project. So for flipping, um, obviously there's going to be contractors involved. There's you, you know they're going to have to be able to prove their comps so that they know what the property's value is going to be at the end of the day when they list it and sell it. Uh, you have to know that obviously because as a lender you need to know uh, well, where you're at, learn, what yeah. the what the percentages are. And um, uh, when looking at those things, there's a process involved throughout the entire life cycle of that project. And um, I haven't worked with enough hard money lenders to know how that process is different. But I know in general, 
um, there's going to be a draw cycle. Um, so uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what investors could expect with Longhorn and kind of maybe some insight on what you are aware of that other hard money lenders do? Yeah, that's a really good question. So with Longhorn, we allow the investors to really dictate how they structure their draw process, mm -hmm. right? Um, we, we allow them to decide how many draws they want to make and the time in which they want to make them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the freedom aspect of allowing that investor to strategize their own draw process is very beneficial. Um, we don't require you to do 25 or 50% and then make a draw. You can make a draw as soon as you complete one project or one, one item on your project. So okay. it allows you to free back up your capital quickly right. um, by not having to wait until you're 50% done with a project or even 25% done. Yeah. Um, so the availability on recapturing that capital is huge. Um, and the time process and the ease of being able to pull the money out for your draws is, is amazing as well because you know my experience with other hard money lenders that I've personally worked with is when you're making those draw requests, you need to provide receipts, invoices, so on and so forth. And when you have, I mean, the real the reality of it is when you're going through an actual project, and this goes back to being an investor, not just a lender, right? Right, right. When you're going through an actual project, the reality of it is your, your contractor may go to Home Depot four times in one day and you've cut, you know, four different, four different receipts for Home Depot for nails and random yeah. stuff. But it adds up. And so right. when you're having to go and make a draw, um, whether it be you know 10 or 25% done, you're now having to provide 50 different receipts. And it's sometimes it's hard to keep up with. And it, yeah. it can, on top of everything else that you're having to manage as an investor, um, it can just get chaotic. And so what we really wanted to do was uh, simplify the process and make it easier on the investor. So we don't require invoices or uh, receipts. Obviously, you'll want to keep those for your back-end uh, filing. But... Mm -hmm. You know, for your draw process, we just tell us what you need money for based upon the original scope of work that you gave us. And as long as the work is done, we'll ACH the funds directly to you. Okay, awesome, man. That's good to know. I mean, personally, I like having flexibility because, you know, as as an investor and, you know, doing stuff with my consulting business as a project manager, um, every every project's different yes you know? yeah and, and you can't rely on the same system working for everything you right. know like um, it's like those uh children's toys you know you can't put the circle in the in the square hole because mm -hmm. it doesn't fit right so not it's not always cookie cutter and, it's not. and having that flexibility is is key um now i want to talk about and kind of shift gears a little bit here but when looking for a hard money lender so I know a lot of people, um, one of the first things they're going to do is Google, right? They're going to yeah. do a search. And um, one of the things that I know I've seen and come across is, you know, companies advertising themselves as private lenders mm. when they're actually hard money lenders. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are some things that uh, a newbie uh, investor should be aware of, or maybe even some red flags of uh, you know what to what to avoid from you know companies that market themselves one way mm -hmm. but are something else entirely that is a really good question and that's actually a two-part question so um, I'm just going to distinguish what the differentiation is between private money and hard money mm -hmm. private money is typically going to be from your family your friends um, co-workers you know 
whoever it is that typically they're they're pulling from retirement funds or they have money laying around that they want to right. be able to make right. an interest rate on. Basically, um, a, a private individual. Exactly. Private money. Private money. Private individual. Um, now, hard money lenders will say that they have private money, or some will market themselves that way. Um, simply because it's not institutionalized. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality of it is there is a difference between private money and there is a difference between hard money. <clears throat> and so when you're running into individuals that are giving you the runaround, obviously you need to be careful. Um, that's going to put me into my, my second fold on that question. Mm -hmm. um, you, you do need to be aware of some people that were advertised themselves, even on social media, as right. a hard money lender or a private money lender. Right. Um, and a lot of times these people will have random addresses as well. Um, you know, I lend money at gmail.com or <laughs> yeah, yeah. your private lender at hotmail.com. Yeah, that, that's a pretty big red flag. It's a huge red flag, but you'd be surprised at how many people fall for that. Mm -hmm. And I, I get calls all the time from people that are um, putting in applications to these people and they're wanting to, uh, the, the company, quote unquote, right, mm -hmm. is uh, wanting an application fee up front. And so they make their money that way. They make their money right. on uh, taking a deposit and taking an application up front. So that's a huge red flag, first and foremost. If anybody asks you for an application fee or analyze, analyzation fee mm -hmm. or a deposit up front prior to you even having a deal, huge red flag turn around and run um, that is probably one of the biggest things that I've seen so a uh, difference between hard money and private money is private money is going to be your family your friends uh, and, and the capital can run out very quickly so right. Right. hard money you know you have unlimited capital at that point um, but it is governed by uh, an actual company right right and the company itself is considered a loan originator whereas a private person is basically just a contract between you and them. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's more <clears throat> on the private money side. You, I mean, you can really structure that however you want. Right. Um, hard money usually has set terms. Um, there is flexibility because it's not coming from a bank, right? It's right, right. It, it is you know it is independent capital that we're able to lend out. So you know we don't we don't have to follow the same rules and regulations. So there is. Um, there is a pleasure of having that flexibility, but there is definitely a difference between the two. Okay. So um, let's talk about the terms because um, I think that's one thing I think is a uh, like a secondary consideration for a lot of beginner investors because the focus is so much on how to get the funds and get the deal going yeah, just that to they get don't think about yeah. the back end of, you know, what if this doesn't work out yeah. because... Um, the, the reality is even if you could go into a loan with quote unquote, nothing out of pocket, mm -hmm. you still need something in your pocket because while you're fixing that house, there's loan payments. Yes. Once that house is fixed, if you're flipping, you're putting it on the market to mm -hmm. sell. If you're going to turn that into a rental, um, you're either going to need to refinance out of that loan or, um, if the, the loan term is long enough, you know, find a renter and then use that to, to make those payments. Yeah. But until you find the renter or until you sell the house, yes, you still have loan exactly, payments to make. Exactly. Um, so uh, and as far as the terms go, what are something, uh, some things that are common and what's something that um, helps Longhorn be different or competitive in the market? Um, so we're competitive in the market in the aspect that we'll do 100% of project financing, mm -hmm. right? So 100% of purchase and 100% of renovation cost. Um, another thing that makes us um, 
different from a a lot of other lenders is the fact that we work with every borrower individually to figure out what they are working with and what they can actually afford. Uh, We're not in the business of wanting to take back homes and foreclose on people. We are in the business of wanting to help people build their investment career and, you know, do more and more and more and create wealth out of it. So, um, I would say that is definitely the difference between us and other hard money lenders. We also don't have any hidden fees. So you're right. People do want to get pre-approved. They want to get in the deal. Some people don't have as much money, so they want to jump in. And if they see the opportunity to be zero out of pocket, mm-hmm. they'll do so. But you're going to hit, you're going to hit <clears throat> two things when you do that. Um, one, you're going to hit the issue with having to make your monthly payments, right? You are going to have right. an overhead. Right. Um, What about the overage on your project? Again, I'm an investor, and I'll tell you, eight out of ten times there's some type of overage, whether you open up a wall and find rats in your wall, or there's crazy stuff that comes up. I talk about this all the time in in the podcast, even on the Facebook Lives, um, that the fact of the matter is, if you're in the real estate industry, it doesn't matter if you're a realtor, a broker, a lender, an investor, a wholesaler, the fact is, it's real estate something is going to happen happen. it just it's (laughs) inevitable you it's you just can't always plan for everything so with that being said you want to make sure as the investor that you have capital to be able to cover any overage that you incur on that property i've been doing this for years let me give you an example i we had a flip recently and um seller lied um somehow the insurance didn't catch it uh we we fixed the whole house up so sorry. We fixed the whole house up. Uh, we go to resell the property and, uh, turns out the seller had made a claim on the roof mm. for $12,000 and, uh, never replaced it. Mm. And we had it, you know, patched up where it was needed, but because the seller had made that claim on the roof, we had to replace the whole roof. Oh wow! Yeah. That was a $10,000 roof. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of money. Um, so with that being said, where do you think that money came from? I couldn't sell it because the end buyer couldn't get insurance on the property right. in order to purchase it. So I had to put a new roof on out of my pocket. Right, right. And had I not, you know, prepared for that, um, with having additional capital and liquidity to be able to support that, I would have, I would have, you know, I would have tanked on the deal. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So what's a, what's a good, I guess, general rule of thumb for cash reserves? And, and I want to get your, your take on this because I've heard, you know, several different things and, you know, I kind of have my own uh, opinion based on my experiences and my own like risk assessment and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But yeah. in terms of uh, evaluating um, whether that deal is appropriate for you as an investor, uh, what is a good um, general cash reserve that you you would recommend good question so um to get started i would say you know our our pre-approval requirement is 10 to fifteen thousand. we want to see mm-hmm. that the borrower has at least ten thousand dollars in reserves to get a pre-approval yeah. um now with that being said ten thousand dollars in the world of real estate investing can go very quickly yep. um if you have you know any overage on the property for your monthly payments and stuff like that um so with that being said the more that you have, the more that you'll qualify for. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the deal. And this is why I work with every borrower individually to figure out the entire deal, not just the purchase, 
and not just the ARV, what is the renovation cost? How long is this going to take you? Um, And analyze it there with them so that they understand. Um, So with that being said, my rule of thumb personally is 50%, uh, whatever my renovation cost is, I want to make sure I have 50% set aside um, for that. Just not necessarily that I'm going to need it, but that I have it available so that I'm successful. Yes. Um, And that's not just for me. That's for my borrowers as well. I always tell them if you have a $60,000 rehab, make sure you have at least, you know, around 30,000. It doesn't have to be a perfect science, but I've noticed that when borrowers do that and they follow those instructions, they set themselves up for success. And those are the people that continue to do flips over and over again and build their career. Whereas the people that don't listen and they feel like, you know, they can scoot by on, you know, reducing their rehab costs in order to make the deal work or inflating their after repair value. Right, right. You know. There, there's no longevity in that. You want to ensure that you set yourself up for success and you don't compromise your numbers just to get into a deal. Right, right. I think that's a, that's a conversation for uh, to go more in depth on a different a different time. <laughs> uh, but just to uh, be brief about it, you know, it's um, playing it conservatively to what is best for your situation. Yes. And you know, not. I know for like the new investors that yes, it can be exciting, right? You, mm-hmm. you find the deal, you're, you, you, maybe you get it under contract or you need the loan so you can make sure that you can do it and you get it under contract afterwards, mm-hmm. but that you get that adrenaline rush of, I, I got the approval for the loan and this deal's about to happen. Yeah. But, I, but so many times investors forget to ask. Uh, is that it's like that old saying, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, like, yeah, you got the you got the loan and you can get the deal, but is that deal an appropriate deal for you in your yeah. current situation? And everybody's situation is so different. Like me, right. for instance, I have three kids under the age of seven. <laughs> so you know, while some people uh, who you know their kids are older, they don't have kids, they can travel, you know, in different markets to have successful rehabs. Right. I can't do that. I have three kids. I have to be there. Um, um, you know, high, huge rehabs, $80,000 rehabs between everything that I'm doing. I know that I, I, I don't want to do that because of my current situation and, right. and what I have going on. So every borrower, there is not a perfect science to it. Every borrower has individual needs or every investor for that matter has individual needs and everybody's financials and their capability of completing different types of projects is very all different. Yeah. And so every investor needs to figure out what works for them, like you said, and strategize it, right? Don't just yeah. don't just run into the first thing you find. Like strategize where you need to be, what you can handle, what you're capable of, and set yourself up for success. That way you're not so reactionary, you know? Yeah, and this is this is all really great stuff. Um I think for anybody who's listening, um if you're a new investor, um, this is the, the kinds of things you need to be aware of. Cause I think one of the hard parts of being new to anything is not knowing enough to be able to know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, that's so true. And this is, this is a good starting point. And, and again, going back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, going to Ria's asking other people about their experiences 
And, you know, more often than not, they're probably going to talk about the things that have gone wrong yes, yes. than they are about the things that they've done right. Learning from other people's mistakes is yeah. huge. And, you know, that's how we got started. My husband and I, uh, we started with Ala Maria years mm-hmm. ago. And again, it goes back to, you don't even know what questions to ask sometimes because you're just so green and you don't know, you don't know anything at that point. So being able to go and educate yourself and listen to uh, different events that they have going on, um, you know, listen to people's stories about what they did good at and what they did bad at and try and learn from other people's mistakes because that's a huge, you know, learning curve that you can. Out of curiosity, um, with the time that you've been with Longhorn, um, like just off the top of your head, general like percentages, what would you say the, like a, uh, how many of the loans that you issued are paid back as a fix and flip versus refinanced out of? How many loans are paid back? Like the, the percentage of success? Yeah. So like if you, if you issued a hundred loans mm-hmm. on a hundred different pro- property rehabs or whatever, how many of those are, you know, investors using to, as a buy and hold oh, that they're going to refinance and pay out that loan mm-hmm. versus listing it on the market as a flip? I would say that it varies um, throughout the year. You know, sometimes it's flip, sometimes it's rental. Uh, Our rental percentage has gone up tremendously. I think when I first started, it was more like Mm. 70-30 off the top of my head. And I'll have to re-look at our analytics because we do keep track of all of that. Uh, I want to say that it's probably gone up to about 40-60 with 60% being flips and and 40% being the rental side. I've noticed that more people are wanting to go into the rental refinances. It could be because of the influx of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder to find you know, flip properties with enough margin and equity to be able to you know, yeah, really yeah. profit. So they're turning to the rental side of things where they can just create cash flow. Right. So it's gone up, but I want to say right about now, it's probably around 40-60 with 60% being on the flips. Okay. No, I think that's interesting because... Um, you know, understanding market cycles as, mm-hmm. as an investor is, yeah. is very important. Um, and in a strong up market, um, it's easy to do the flip because, you know, liquidity is there for the end buyer. If they're going to qualify for, you know, tr- traditional financing, FHA, whatever, um, to be able to buy that end product that the flipper is doing. Um, and then as you start seeing that saturation or mm-hmm. oversaturation of the market, that's where, um, you know, you start having the problem of flippers buying other flippers deals to flip them again. Yeah. And then yeah. you, you don't have those end buyers yeah. anymore. The market just isn't there because the prices are being inflated because of that, that activity. Mm-hmm. And the smart investors know that they can see those trends. Right. Um, so I think that's interesting that, you know, you're saying, you know, it, it started off as like a 70, 30 of the flips, but it's starting to, you know, scale back. Um, and that's, uh, I think that that's interesting because for one, it speaks to the quality of, of borrowers that Longhorn has clearly they're savvy investors and they know what they're doing. Yes. Um, yeah. because you know, me being the, the numbers person, you know, very analytical, um, I like to keep my eye on the markets and kind of anticipate the trends. I mean, you, you can't be perfect. You can never predict right. what's going to happen. Um, I've been wrong in the past, you know, but the fundamentals don't change. And the fundamentals show that um, we're heading to a correction. Who knows when that's actually going to occur, but the numbers are there. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting that, you know, it 
what you just said kind of validates that because I'm not the only one seeing it. Yeah. No, we've definitely seen a difference. And I think as the market changes, it's not always a bad thing. Um, I would say, you know, the investors that are prepared for the change in market and the investors that educate themselves and know enough to um, understand different exit strategies are Mm -hmm. going to be able to utilize uh, the change in market to their advantage, right? Right. So, um, you know, for us personally, we used to flip quite a bit. Now we're deviating towards uh, additional strategies like the rental side of things and the owner finance side of things. Right, right. So it's all about following the trends, like you said, and just preparing yourself for where things are going so that you can, you know, dodge and weave as you go to remain successful, just changing your strategies. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think on that note, that could be a... I guess a qualifying question that a new investor could ask a hard money lender, you know, what, what are the percentages of their loans, uh, being paid out as a flip deal or a refinance into rental kind of deal? Um, because it could be an indicator of the kind of borrowers they work with. Um, and it could also show, um, how risk aversive that lender could be in, in terms of picking its clients and doing business with them. And again, that's entirely up to the investor. You know, everybody has a different situation. Everybody has a different risk tolerance when it mm-hmm. comes to investing. And ultimately that's what it comes down to is what are you comfortable doing? Yeah. Um, because you know, your education as, as far as what to do as an investor, uh, or even uh, working with a lender, you know, you may not have all the answers because, hey, maybe you're new, you've never done this, you know, mm-hmm. but doing what you are comfortable with uh, will more likely yield better results than jumping into something you don't know anything about and it, you know, you're not comfortable doing that. That's right. that's where people start losing money because they second guess their decisions, they, uh, they feel pressured to do something and when you're mm-hmm. in that situation, you mess up. That's very true. And, and also uh, eating more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of newer investors wanting to go in. They've never had a construction background. They have no idea how to how to facilitate a, a rehab. Mm-hmm. And they go in and they want to do an $80,000 rehab on their first deal. And it's hard. You know, some of these yeah, downtown yeah. homes, you got to put the whole house back together. They're old. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're from the 70s. So on that note, um, as a lender... How do you uh, evaluate the borrower in terms of experience? Because if someone comes to you and they may have some cash reserve, but they have no background in construction or rehab, they've never done one before. Um, and and like I would imagine that's a, a huge aspect of risk assessment when it comes to the lending, because obviously you want them to be successful. Right. You're not in the business of foreclosing and taking their property. Um, so uh, how do you gauge the um, likelihood that that person is going to be successful if they've never done it before? That's a, a good question. Usually uh, one key sign is going to be their liquidity mm-hmm. and um, their readiness to jump into something that they're not necessarily ready for. Um, so I always have the conversation. I, I, I don't I don't like to tell investors what they can and can't do. Okay, I'd like to give the investors the flexibility to make their own decisions because Mm -hmm. we're grown adults and you know, it's important for you to do your research and ask those questions along the way. But ultimately an investor or a borrower is going to do what they want to do. So I allow them to make the decision, but I will tell you this, I'm, 
very much of a mama bear. And I have that conversation up front. Hey, Bob, I, I see that this is your rehab and we'll take a look at it and we'll say, Hey, you know, sometimes it doesn't look right. Hey, did you account for this? Mm-hmm. Or what about this? And, and how about this? Yeah. So you're saying your budget's going to be 60, but once you start accounting for some of these other things, cause we'll get photos of the property. Right. Have you, have you, you know, if, a normal budget will probably take an extra $20,000 more. Are you prepared for that? Like, mm-hmm. is that a project that you feel like you're going to be successful on? And if the borrower's working with minimal reserves, this also goes back to the 50% of rehab cost right. liquid, right? Right. Because if somebody is doing a bigger deal like that, I'm going to want to make sure that that borrower is set aside, has set aside enough uh, in liquidity to be able to successfully do that rehab budget. And, um, so that's, that's where the vetting really comes into play. You know, you, you're going to need to have a little bit more set aside if you want to do bigger deals, not necessarily because of me, mm-hmm. but because I want to see that you're successful and you're right. going to thank me in the long run. I promise you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, and that's also good for business because if, if they're successful with their deal, you get your money, they get their money and they're probably going to come back to you again. They will. You know, I will tell you about 80 to 90% of my business is repeat clients. Mm-hmm. I have investors that I've started with, you know, five years ago and they barely started rehabbing. They didn't, it was their first deal ever. They came from, usually they come from corporate jobs where they don't want to run the yeah. rat race anymore right. and they just want to get started. And so I'll, I'll guide them on how to get started, how to set up their stuff. Um, and they'll just, you know, roll one over and again and again and again. And I just, I give as much advice as I can along the way so mm-hmm. that, um, you know, they take that and, and create a business out of flipping homes. And I've had several borrowers that have been able to retire off of their corporate jobs and do this full time. And it's amazing to watch. And, um, so yeah, I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. I mean, uh, and I th- we're pretty much coming up to the end of the episode anyway, so it's a, it's a good segue. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, this is a lot of great information, you know, being a first time investor looking for a hard money lender, that's, that's a challenge. Um, I know right now in the kind of market that we're in, it's easy to find deals. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily easy to find good, good deals, deals, but you can find the deals. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. basically everybody and their mom is an investor right now, mm-hmm. like, quote unquote investor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, even in a down market, there's, there's always tons of wholesale deals, you know, just because of the situations that people are, are facing. And, um, and even if you are a experienced investor, you've done a couple of deals and you're looking for a new hard money lender, or maybe you've maxed out on working with a particular lender and you have to go somewhere else mm-hmm. because you know, they're not going to lend to you because they've already lent on the, on three projects that yeah. you're still working on right yeah. now. You know, it, it's, it's good to be able to diversify and know, uh, what is a, you know, quote unquote, good hard money lender to yeah. work with. Um, but yeah, so Jade, thanks for taking the time uh, to be here with us and talk about this topic. I think it's super important. Um, again, for our audience, um, Jade Flores, and she's with the Longhorn Investments Hard Money Lending Company, um, based out of, uh, it's actually out of Dallas, but she mm-hmm. runs the uh, uh, Central Texas, San Antonio regional area. And um, they are our sponsors for all of our social media and uh, podcast content. So check them out. Um, Go to our Facebook page. You will see tons of resources on how to find them. Uh, If you 
go to their own page, you can directly communicate with them. Mm -hmm. If you have questions about uh, going from the wholesaling side of things into the hard money lending as a borrower to do your own deals, reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook. Uh, Shoot me a message directly, mike at hillcohomes.com. We're all here to help you. Uh, I hope the podcast is bringing you actionable value that you can actually use. And thanks for listening. Keep keep up the good work. And until next time, uh, this is the Hillco Homes Podcast.